Hi, everyone. This is Dave Newbert, Marketing Director for Eagle Eye Power Solutions, and welcome to our podcast, DC Power Hour, the show where we will discuss everything related to, you guessed it, critical DC power solutions. So charge up, power on, or do whatever it takes to get yourself excited for the episode of DC Power Hour. Welcome to episode six of Eagle Eye Power Solutions DC Power Hour. Today, we'll discuss why battery monitoring. Recently, we mentioned how battery monitoring plays a vital role in overall battery maintenance, but in this episode, we're going to take things a little farther, and we're going to discuss the many reasons why battery monitoring is an ideal long-term critical power solution. All right, well, don't take my word for it. Let's hear from our resident battery experts For Battery Blarney, once again, here's George Peterson and Alan Byrne. Hi, guys. Welcome back. And uh, let's let's hear from you guys and and what you think about this topic about battery monitoring. Alan? Well, good morning. Battery monitoring. I guess battery monitoring has been around since batteries were first invented because in a simplistic view, depends what you mean by battery monitoring. Going back to the early ages when uh, George and I first started into the industry, Plante was inventing his first battery. Just monitoring the voltage of a battery or checking the voltage of a battery or battery cell within a battery string was battery monitoring. But however, up until about late 1980s, early 1990s, most batteries were in the confines of the telecommunications industry and the utility industries. And they really knew how to look after them, monitor them. And it was a human monitor. There was a guy that actually worked in the battery room every day and he took the parameters, checked the specific gravity, took the voltage, checked the charge current, checked the float current. But in my mind, this was fine. But in the late 80s, there was a thing, battery come out called a valve-regulated lead-acid battery. And that was the so-called sealed maintenance-free battery. Uh, it was maintenance-proof, in my opinion, but you couldn't see it with inside the cells because it had a opaque container. So they had to come up with some way of seeing what condition the battery was in. With a flooded cell, the vented lead acid cell, you'd look at the plates, you could check the level of electrolyte, everything. You couldn't do that with a valve-regulated lead acid battery. So what happened was there's a lot of studies, particularly within uh, the some of the, the battery community, intellect and things like that, that were looking at the internal resistance or impedance or conductance, whatever they were looking at. So And they found out there was a relationship between that and the uh, essentially the state of health of the battery. Not the capacity of the battery, but the state of health of the battery. IEEE jumped on the bandwagon since there was no uh, really laid down standards, methods, practices. And they come up with a document called uh, IEEE 1491. And this was in 1995. I had a friend called Glenn Albert. Glenn had done a lot of research into battery desist- resistance testing. He was instrumental in getting me involved in that. And for my sins, I... Uh, became the uh, chair of the IEEE working group that eventually developed uh, IEEE 1191, uh, 1491, which was detailed 17 parameters that could be monitored from a battery. So uh, I'll, I'll hand over to George for a while, and then I'll, co- I'll come back to this. The, the one other thing about Alan's introduction is he points out that he became involved in battery monitoring in 1995. Uh, with the start of 1491. I'd just like to remind them that I did my first paper on the subject of electronic battery monitoring in 1994. So for the first time probably in our whole career, I'm able to beat them at something. Having said that, yes, he's, he's absolutely right. At that point, we were actually, were we working together yet? No, we had. I just left the company. But Alan and I worked together for many years, sometimes for each other, it all depended. So but at one point, we were looking at the whole idea of monitoring for DC power systems, and that included the battery. But the challenge always was that the, the actual tools weren't available. In '95 was when the first of the, the small microprocessors started to become available, and you could actually build something around the, the whole concept of battery monitoring. Don't get me wrong, 1491 is an extremely valuable document. I'm involved in the latest revision of it at the present moment on the Energy Storage and Stationary Battery Committee. They changed the name and it's made it more complicated. So I'm still involved in it. But the standard, unfortunately, is not quite catching up with where things are going. One of the problems is something that 
they actually wrote into the original uh, guide, I shouldn't call it a standard, it's a guide at the present moment, was all about using limits as a, as a method of establishing the status of the battery. I know Alan's got some pretty firm views on that. I'll let him talk about that and then we can discuss why I don't totally agree with him. Well, George, you were correct. You did come up with something, I remember, in 1994, and we were working together at that time. However, let me just back off a little bit. People were looking at ways that they could monitor batteries internally and try and relate that to how the battery was, was functioning. In other words, the state of health of the battery. I guess it was back in the early 90s, Electrical Power Research Institute out of Charlotte did a huge study with loads of various types of batteries of regulated lead acid. The results of this study uh, and some other minor studies at the time, Bell Labs, people like that, they found that there was a correlation between the internal resistance, uh, between the impedance, and between the conductance, because people were using various test methods. Conductance is just a reciprocal of resistance. So what had led up to this was that not only that the advent of valve-regulated lead-acid batteries, but the fact that the additives to the flooded batteries, like calcium and antimony and selenium, plate additives, when they just started deteriorating the plates, th there was a pretty good correlation. So from the EPRI Institute, IEEE uh, jumped on this. Uh, I remember the, the two guys that were involved, very nice people, very knowledgeable people. And IEEE said, well, maybe we can take the results of the EPRI research and come up with uh, some limits that would tell us if we have a good battery or a bad battery. Really, they were looking for Nirvana, but of course, that wasn't to happen. So they come up with the next best. The IEEE 1491 had 16 parameters that you could look at. Sorry, 17 that would tell you something about the battery. At an early BATCON conference, people were asked, if you could only look at a couple of things about a battery, what would you look at? Overwhelmingly, two of the top items were battery temperature and battery charge current. And because of these two things, you were able to tell basically the state of charge of the battery, the state of health of the battery, because if the temperature remained the same and the charge current increased, you could tell there was something happening within that cell. Uh, that was a little bit of a diversion to give you some of the background. But what resulted with the IEEE, as you said, looking at the EPRI figures, I have a lot of information on this. If any of our listeners would like some, just contact Eagle Eye. But it was found that approximately 30% deviation from norm for impedance and resistance, or whatever the inverse was for conductance, 30% deviation from norm told you that there was something happening that you should be very aware of. Look at, in other words, it was a warning flag. And they found that 50% deviation from norm, eh, chances were, were probably 90% sure that you, you had a bad battery cell. That's what it went into 1491. And 1188, which IEEE guide, the IEEE standard for the uh, maintenance of uh, valve regulated lead acid batteries. So over to you, George, and give us a little bit more information here. I know you're probably going to disagree with me, but uh, oh, give, your best. Give, give it your best shot, George. It's a matter of principle. I'm not, I don't actually disagree with you. The, 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 one of the problems I have is uh, just what you said. You established this 30% um, figure as a figure for the uh, a warning as such and 50% as uh, an indication that it was the actual component of the battery was dead. The biggest challenge I have is that having spent, as you know, 10 years working for, a, for another battery monitoring company and studying a lot of the data, you start to realize that trying to set these absolute limits and using the limits are wrong. Now, I know that 1491 says that there are those 17 parameters we can measure and they all impact the battery. But guess what? Most people just look at the ohmic value one and 30%. And if it hasn't reached 30%, then it's not bad yet. And yet the problem is that it can reach 20% and it could be very bad just by watching the, the behavior of it. The one thing, you know, I, I think it's we've lost some of the, the impact of 1491 in a sense because people have become so locked into the idea that ohmic value is the only thing that matters. And it's simply not. The original 
technicians you were talking about, the battery techs, they were looking at every aspect of that battery, the number of bubbles on the plate, you know, it was all that sort of stuff that they were looking at on a daily basis. They didn't rely on any one value to determine what the state of the battery was. I think that's probably my biggest challenge when I think about 1491 is this whole thing about people get their idea that this ohmic value is the only thing that matters and it's got to reach the figure before it matters. The other problem they have is that it doesn't actually differentiate between a multi-cell battery or a multi-cell unit, to use the latest terminology, or a single-cell unit. And I'm, I would like, for instance, I'm happy to say on a single-cell unit, a 50% rise, yes, at that point I'm looking at it. But I'm more interested at the rate at which it rises than I am in the actual value. But on a multi-cell unit, definitely at 30%, that cell is probably prone to failure in the event of a discharge test. I think we have done ourselves a disservice with not correcting that as much as we can. Back to you, sir. I agree and disagree, George. You know, there had to be some limits set. Uh, you talk about a multi-cell unit, which is the biggest enemy to, uh, to battery monitoring because you're going across typically uh, three or six cells. If the manufacturers would make them so that there was a termination on the top of the case uh, where you could look at each individual cell, it would be a great improvement. Uh, as it stands, you're looking at three, six cells, sometimes even more. With one, uh, you're looking at the internal ohmic values of that particular cell. So there's no easy way around it. And you've got to say, well, there's one cell within this block or unit that's bad. There's something more important than this. And that's the type of monitor or the type of monitoring. Uh, that you use for to obtain to obtain ohmic values. Also, the type of monitor you use to obtain charge current, float current, discharge current. When you think about it, every time a battery is discharged, if you could look at that discharge current and the load is constant, and that discharge current or dis and discharge voltage start decaying, you know there's something wrong with the battery as well. But let's get back to the ohmic internal ohmic values. One of the problems is has been that they're okay with higher internal resistance valve regulated lead acid cells. But when it comes to dented lead acid, uh, some of the larger format, when I would say larger ones, I'm talking about 800, 1,000 ampere hours and above. The, ohmic, the methodology of testing the internal ohmic value of that battery varies vastly between the different manufacturers. And to me, you have to have a very high test current to even get any information over the uh, higher cells. To me, that's more of a problem at the moment anyway. So I'd like to hand that back to you, George. Oh, yeah, as I say, I, I, I won't disagree with your fundamental thoughts on that. But uh, yes, you're right. Actually, I, I believe that, that this the bigger problem we see on, on the batteries uh, and it's it's the one that a higher test current basically helps uh, reduce is the amount of electrical noise that exists in any battery system, especially in you know on the telecommunications side. No, that that's fine because the the telecommunication rectifiers are believe it or not still being designed at uh, noise levels that were in place when everything on the telephone network was analog. Today, there's nothing analog left in the telephone network. It's it's all digital. Even the even the phone you're using at home is a digital one now. You know, so the that part has disappeared. But the actual standard for the rectifiers hasn't changed. It still has this very very low noise requirement on it. So if you're looking at battery monitoring on a telecom system, that's absolutely fine. It, you're not going to have a noise problem on there. But the moment you start getting out into the industrial world or into the UPS world. The level of noise that exists on the charging systems is a major problem towards it. Now, the a higher test current definitely helps eliminate that, but it's not it's not always the answer. The whole thing about getting uh, accurate measurements of the battery is probably the biggest challenge the the manufacturers of monitors have, and they have a number of different ways to do it. But in most cases, it's just collecting a lot of data and averaging it out, and you're checking for actual uh, overall change over a period of time that's what you're really looking for that to me is 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 the part of it but yes i, I know where you're coming from you a lot of people say well we can't test dented cells because their the, their internal resistance is far too low 
Yes, we can. We can identify all sorts of problems on vented cells with a battery monitoring system. It's just you have to have the right system. You've kind of hit on one of my pet peeves here, George. That's collection of data. Modern monitors collect huge amounts of data. And the typical scenario is that somebody has a very sophisticated battery monitor like the Vigilant on a large uh, multi-cell UPS system, typically uh, 242 volt cells or something like that. You know, they collect all this data and then it just sits there. You need somebody to analyze that data. Up until now, it hasn't really been happening unless unless it was a company that uh, knew what they were doing, valued the uh, thousands of dollars they had spent on the monitor, had somebody to look at that data or else it was monitored at a remote location by an independent party. If that data wasn't monitored, you were going nowhere. Fair enough, you had these alarm flags at uh, 30% and 50%. What was happening in between? You know, that battery just didn't suddenly go from good to bad in most cases. Uh, There was a trending. I'm glad to see that people are looking at this and using uh, artificial intelligence or similar type approaches to look at this in-between data, I call it. And I know, George, that you have vast experience, more than I have, on looking at data. Uh, I can tell you how to get the data and how to do it, but uh, George, you have a vast experience at looking at the data, and I'd like you to comment on that. You're absolutely right. I have probably spent more hours looking at uh, Excel spreadsheets and graphs than I care to think. But the whole point about it is, you're right, but this is where I, I was going back to the what has become almost within the industry, these established norms like ohmic value is what matters, the limits are the most important thing. perfect example of that is that on the PRC-05, that standard, maintenance standard that the utilities have to work with today, if they collect the data manually every 18 months, which is not really frequent enough, but if they collect the data manually, the standard requires them to do an analysis of the data. But if they use a battery monitoring system, there is no analysis required, which is actually rather crazy because it's the same piece of software, whether it's a handheld system or whether it's the the full-time monitor. You still need to do analysis. You're right. The the way you can do it is today we have uh, what we're referring to as artificial intelligence or machine learning. You can effectively uh, replicate what the old battery technicians used to do, which interestingly enough was my paper back in 1994. And it, that one of the things that was looking at was this change in relationship between values rather than specific limits against anything. Uh, I find it interesting at this point in my career that you know that's basically what artificial intelligence has become, and that's what we're going to be looking at. But again, the key to making and achieving good results with, let's call it machine learning, because that's really what it's about. You, you need to have the ability to uh, collect a lot of data and analyze all that data. And unfortunately, within the, uh, the realms of cybersecurity, uh, obtaining that data from multiple sources has been, become much more difficult for companies involved in the battery monitoring industry. So we have to, that's going to be one of our future challenges. The other point about it is, is that as battery monitoring becomes more and more acceptable, shall we say, when companies realize the value, not just with the reliability, the improvement and reliability of the battery, but on the fact that the, uh, the, the release, the, the less labor that's required in order to uh, do it becomes a financial benefit over time. But at the same time, you've got to, you've got to be able to get access to that data. You, you then need to use industry experts to look at that data and guide the machine learning algorithms in the right direction. The machine can do it much faster than you could ever do it. The machine can replicate a thousand uh, battery technicians, you know, by just looking at a whole data set. But at the same time, it needs to know what to look at. Artificial intelligence, people seem to think that it, it does it, it learns all by itself. It doesn't quite. You have to point it in the right direction. Humans are still required. But we'll get there. We will get there eventually. Can I jump in? And I have a question um, based on kind of what you guys are all talking about. What if what if you have a customer or somebody that says, um, I don't I don't think I need battery monitoring because I've I've got a maintenance program and I feel like I've got everything covered. We're, we're very diligent in our in our battery system maintenance. How, what would you say 
uh, to that? I'll, I'll take it, or we can both comment on it. You know, maintenance program depends, first of all, on the maintenance program. There's maintenance programs and there's maintenance programs. Uh, the very basic maintenance program, and I think I can lay claim to coining the term, maybe George will agree or disagree, but I coined the term drive-by maintenance. This, this came from the uh, cellular telephone industry, which uh, both George and I were heavily involved in, in doing various things with uh, mobile maintenance. So you, you open the door of the cabinet or the container, oh, the battery's still there. Okay, we're fine. On to the next one. If you're using a stringent uh, program, such as defined by IEEE, which requires monthly, quarterly, semi-annual, and annual maintenance, that's fine. You'll get a lot of information. You have a more secure battery system. But what happens between the monthly maintenance and the quarterly maintenance? What happens between the quarterly maintenance and semi-annual maintenance? You know, a lot of things can go wrong. So while maintenance is fine, maintenance is great, God bless them when they do it, but you need something else. And that something else is a battery monitor. Now, you've got to look at the economics of it. If I have a four-unit, 12, 412-volt units, 48-volt battery, that's on a telecom system, it, uh battery cost me $1,000. I want to put a, a monitor on it, and that monitor is going to cost me $5,000. Uh, I'm not going to get it through the financial engineers. So. Uh, in that case, maintenance is, is important, but the other problem around it is to say, well, why maintain the darn thing? Why don't we just change it out every every two years? And that's happening as well. Uh, online monitoring is a stopgap between uh, the maintenance periods, in my, my opinion. So what do you think, George? Well, uh, one of the things I'll pick up straight away, just so that we can uh, emphasize how wrong it is, is this idea that, oh, you just simply change them out every two years. Uh, a, it's very expensive, and B, the average uh, battery has something like a, a battery system can have up to a 15% infant mortality in its first two years of service. Uh, and that infant mortality is often destructive enough to be able to basically disable the battery. So, you know, MD that thinks that's a good idea is simply introducing another set of failure mechanisms into their system. Things that have worked for a long time reliably are often more reliable than brand new equipment. So let's forget about changing how you need to do it. The whole, the whole thing about it is, is that when, you when we started to introduce maintenance programs within IEEE and, and in order for, to work with the the nuclear industry, really, that was the start of it. But the trouble is it was it was an attempt to mimic what the battery technicians had been doing. And the battery technician effectively was your 24-7 monitor. Maybe not quite 24-7, but at least it was, you know, eight to five, uh, five days a week. Uh, that technician was there looking at the battery, watching its response to things, just being there for everything that was going on. Uh, replacing that by even a monthly inspection uh, misses a lot of stuff that goes on in the system. That's my problem. Now, but I will add one thing to it. You cannot totally 100% rely on battery monitoring as the only source of information. You still need to inspect the battery on a regular basis to look for corrosion, Leaking post seals, leaking cells will stop. Um, that's a key element to it. There are things that will happen within the battery that may well occur long before it provides an electronic indication. You can see it visually. So, uh, you know, any system that is using battery monitoring also has to have a competent set of battery technicians involved that can do the necessary inspections and make valid judgments on what they're seeing. Do you guys feel that there's a kind of what you're making a point here about maintenance doesn't go away, data interpretation doesn't go away. Do you feel that there's an an unfair ask of what a battery monitoring system should do? It, it, I almost get the sense that there's almost a, we can install a battery monitoring system and forget about our batteries, almost like the days of the the drive-by maintenance where we just drove by and opened the door, looked in, everything was good. Now it's now I now I don't even have to do the drive by. I just open my computer and there's no alarms going on. So um, check back in and in the next year on the system. 
Do you, do you get a feel that there's an unfair request of battery monitoring systems? At this moment in time, yes, because uh, much as we're talking about, we can use machine learning, artificial intelligence uh, to improve the ability. You still have to make a decision about what to do with the information you have. And I think probably my big thing is that simply setting a limit to it is not sufficient. You have to look at the data, the rate that the data changed, and the risk associated with it. One of the things I have used in, in, in presentations in the past is this idea that you, you may well have a large UPS system with uh, five cabinets of batteries because it was designed for this large UPS system. But the actual system load on the UPS is you know, 800 kVA UPS and it's got 100 kVA of load on it. At that point, a, a potential battery failure within one of the cabinets is not going to be disastrous. You know, you can take your time to replace it or you can work out ways to do it. You can, but you have to make that judgment as to the information you're getting. On the other hand, if that UPS is sitting there and it has 750 kVA of load on it, guess what? Any individual cell out of these, well, let's assume there are, they were multi-cell units, so you would have um, 40 cells in each of the cabinets, 200-odd cells. A failure in any one of those could really reduce the runtime of the battery, even maybe in sufficiently enough not to, uh, to support it in time for the generator to start. The monitor itself cannot do that type of calculation. And you have to understand what the data is telling you in order to make that judgment. Let me pick up on something you said previously, George. And uh, just to give you an example, uh, you mentioned infant mortality, particularly among valve-regulated lead acid cells. This, this is true. And I'll just to give you a little anecdote here, I was tasked with witnessing the test of probably about 360 battery units at a manufacturer's facility. Of those 300-odd units, uh, we found 13 right off the uh, production line, right off the charging tables uh, that were defective. And this is a reputable manufacturer. 13, well, that's not bad. Sometimes a little bit higher than that. And talking to other people, they said, eh, you know, 10% failure, that's not unheard of. You know, 3 or 4% is uh, kind of a norm. So you are going to get those failures. So it's really important to test the battery, put it into service properly before you even stick a monitor on it. And the other thing about a monitor is that you have to not just install the monitor when the battery is put in service. You have to go back six months later, six months really, and uh, look at the battery uh, parameters then. Uh, the other thing is that uh, maintenance, visual maintenance, as George indicated, is very, very important. In actual fact, I, I presented a paper at BATCON uh, a few years ago detailing Oh, probably about 20 or 30 things you could look at with a battery just during a visual inspection. And 50% of the time, you could, you could find a defect within the battery by just looking at it, examining it. Circle back to what you said, Andrew. Battery monitoring is great. It's a way of the future. In my case, if I had an important battery, it's a must. But routine maintenance is a must as well. Yeah, th this kind of lends to a question that I know that Dave had gotten from uh, a client of ours. And, and it was kind of, it goes along the lines of um, what is the future of battery monitoring? And for you guys, do you feel that it it's enough just to buy a battery monitoring system? Or should there be a more comprehensive thought process into this? To me, it's it's the idea of maybe a battery monitoring is an indicator to then address maintenance, but I feel like there's still a necessary requirement to make and understand batteries. There's a necessary requirement to do the maintenance, but what is the future of battery monitoring with all those things considered in your guys' mind? I'll pick up on that one, Andrew, because it's something that's very near and dear to my heart at the present moment, and that is that battery monitoring has been a standalone function. That's it. It's battery monitoring. It's a separate function. It's got its own separate software. Everything is, is, is separate. In today's world, especially within the utilities and, and that, and with the worries about cybersecurity, we have to con stop considering the battery monitor as a standalone. It simply becomes another set of sensors 
that are within an overall electronic monitoring network that is monitoring our smart grid. Uh, we, we can't think about the monitor as a simple, as this standalone product any longer. It's going to have to be fully integrated in with the existing monitoring and management services that these utilities have set up for everything else. And if we, if we understand that and we work out how to do it properly, that means that they will, uh, you know, it can simply be integrated within the secure network without having to access it from the insecure network. Something is going to happen, but battery monitoring will no longer be this, in a sense, a standalone product separate from every other form of monitoring. This applies to not just to battery monitoring. Don't maybe get correct. This applies to everything else. I brought back to memory of uh, one of our large customers at my previous company, very large government department down in Washington, D.C., and I got uh, summoned one day about because he had alarms on one of the, U- the monitors on a UPS, and I said to the facilities manager, I said, I showed you how to do this, you could do it. And he told me to simply get myself down there. I realized how much he felt because my pass arrived on the email within 10 minutes, which was unheard of. So I went there and uh, I sorted out the problem. And what he pointed out to me was that in his office, and he was quite correct, he had a table on which there was something like 14 different PCs, all of them monitoring individual parts of that complex building, air conditioning, heating, all sorts of things. And his comment to me was, I've got all this to do. I look at yours at the very end, maybe once a month. Don't expect me to remember how to do everything. And I think that's the thing we've got to understand. That was oh, that was a few years ago, but it's still, it probably still applies today in many cases. So the whole idea of having these standalone separate monitoring capabilities have to be integrated into one capability where the end user is actually getting a comprehensive picture of what's happening. So that's where battery monitoring is going. Uh, We'll just stop there yet. Well, George, I'll try to be brief. In my opinion, the the ideal thing would be if we could tie in uh, internal ohmic values and other things to battery capacity rather than battery state of health. But where I believe we're going to end up is we've learned a lot from the electric vehicle industry, both good and bad. I think that uh, stationary batteries uh, will be coming off the production line with a built-in monitor. In other words, internally, you'll have all the facilities you need to do, and all you have to do is connect it up. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, guys. Um, I think that'll kind of do it for today and in this section. You guys gave us a lot of really good information to to think about do you do you guys have anything else you want to share on uh on battery monitoring or i mean i guess we could always revisit this topic at another point because you guys have so much knowledge here i think we could revisit it some other point it's um I think what we're trying to do was uh, almost give a background to how it's developed and where we think it's going but you know that's that's what we were working on here yes i just like to remind people that uh as you probably seen, you know, we have a little bit of knowledge about battery monitoring. Eagle Eye has a lot of knowledge about battery monitoring, but we have we have technical notes and we have white papers available on the subject. So anybody's really really interesting or interested in getting some more information, uh, just contact Eagle Eye and we'll see what we can do for you. Very good. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it, and you guys have a great weekend. We'll try. We'll try. We'll try. Thanks. Okay, for this next segment, we have a real treat. We have a true industry expert, Nigel Scott, to give us a engineering perspective on battery monitoring. And so for this, I'm going to turn it over to our own Andrew Charlton to interview Nigel. Nigel, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to hear from you. How are you? Uh, still alive in this day and age, which is pretty good. <laughs> Still alive, that's always great to know. So today we wanted to talk a little bit about battery monitoring. And uh, I guess just to start, it would be best just to say, you know, battery monitoring surprisingly has been around for 40 plus years. Um, Do you want to start with just where have you been in the industry and how long have you been involved with the idea specifically of battery monitoring? Um, Yeah, sure. My background has been pretty wide from 
missile flight control systems in Polaris submarines to managing the national repair labs and spare supply for Siemens UK. I initially came across large battery systems as the first commissioning and support engineer for Siemens UPS systems in 1977. In 1997, I started my own company designing battery monitoring systems. Around that time, invented my first multi-frequency uh, battery analysis system. Uh, after a few more patents uh, for some innovative battery products, I presented papers and basically I'm more or less retired now. I'm the director of a small company designing and developing advanced battery monitoring products. So it's safe to say between the missiles and your history in the military, the batteries have been on your mind for quite a long time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How much has changed since then and now? Well, yeah. My first ba large batteries were on submarines. So uh, they've changed a bit since then, but not a heck of a lot. The first battery monitoring systems were centralized systems. Uh, they weren't bad systems, but um, every cell connection had to be brought back to the system monitor, which could be a fair distance from the battery. Because they had long cable runs, they were expensive to install. And because the long cables act as aerials, even today they can be troubled by ripple and noise problems from the battery system. When I designed the first distributed one sensor per cell system in 1996-97, it started the move to distributed systems. Although the, the industry is now dominated by distributed systems, the monitor parameters are still largely the same as they were 40 years ago. Cell voltage, cell resistance or impedance, even today, not, only, not all battery monitoring systems measure every cell temperature, uh, which is essential for directing, sorry, detecting thermal runaways and batteries. Or float current, which the IEE considers a key parameter in the life of the cells. Basically, not a great deal has changed in the last 25 years. The data collected is presented to the customer more or less as of raw data, perhaps with a little filtering. And to date, there's been no attempt in the industry to explain to the customer the meaning of the rise and fall of a parameter or to cal calculate its effect on the battery as a whole, except to say if resistance rises, it's not good. That's about it, really. So when it comes to a battery monitoring system, you kind of outlined a lot of the parameters that have been around since the beginning. And those really have gone unchanged. What's changed about the customer or their goals in, in what a battery monitoring system would do? Has that changed drastically over the years or is it still ultimately the same goal? I would say the goal of a, of a user that buys uh, a battery monitoring system is purely and simply to avoid difficulties if and when a battery should fail. Um, it can be very destructive if a battery fails, if the mains fails and then a battery fails. You can lose huge amounts of data, the critical load is uh, in danger, and that's basically what the customer wants to do. It wants to stop that happening. And you can do with a good battery monitoring system. And with that battery monitoring system, I know you talked about the amount of data. Could you speak a little bit to, from a customer's perspective, is all data good data or do they want raw data or do they want the machines these days to interpret the data for them? Because to me, ultimately, a customer's goal is one to have a reliable battery system, but also it is to have the capability to make decisions and to make those quickly. Is that really the focus of battery monitoring systems these days that you see on the market, or has that not really become the main selling point of a battery monitoring system? I would say from day one, the, the point of a battery monitoring system is to avoid trouble. The customer just wants to know that his battery is going to work when it's called on to do so. Nothing much has changed in uh, from when it first started to what it is today in terms of what the customer wants. But the trouble with data is if you give a customer too much data, uh, like any of us, 
presented with a large array of lots and lots of data, it becomes confused, can't assimilate it all. And this, by the way, is not, not just customers. I mean, it's the same for all of us. I would say what a customer needs today is decent data, well presented, uh, but data that is germane to whether his battery is going to work or not. These days, there's a lot more you can do with the data before you present it to the customer. Uh, if you use artificial intelligence, if you use machine learning, uh, if you use these tools to sift through the data so that essentially a customer who might, might have 100 or 200 uh, battery systems, if you use those tools to present to the customer, yes, this battery is okay for the next six months, okay, now it's looking a little risky, then the customer's got two or three things that he can act on. If you just present raw data to a customer, especially a customer with a lot of systems, uh, you're asking for trouble. It's okay for the first two or three weeks after installation, and everybody likes to play with a new toy, but give it three to six months, and uh, the data is not being acted or looked at or acted on. Yeah, I agree. The the old saying, uh, paralysis by analysis, kind of falls into play with the amount of data that you could have at your fingertips. And and that's what I truly love about the Vigilant is really giving them intelligent data to actually go and utilize and know where their system's at, but also be able to make key decisions from the top down in an organization of what to do about those battery systems. So that leads me to a little bit about the communication and getting that data to the client. Uh, a lot of concerns these days revolve around cybersecurity, uh, making sure that uh, a hacker can't get into their system or control their systems. What features does a monitor require in that? Because they would be geographically looking at that from a centralized location. Could you talk a little bit about the cybersecurity in, in a battery monitoring system in the environment that it's in? The battery monitoring system uh, is generally purely on-site, next to the battery, on the battery. No matter whose battery monitoring system it is, you have a distributed system, and that system sits in the battery room. Now, I would say it's the customer's IT responsibility to ensure that that system is protected within its own screens. Our system, for example, has a very large memory, and all of the all of the data collected by the system is analyzed, uh, stored, and analyzed within the system. If the if the data is downloaded into the, the central system, uh, into the customer's own IT uh, system. Uh, and that is subject to hacking or other cyber attack, well, there's nothing much we can do about that. But at the same time, uh, the data is still present on the, uh, on the monitor, and it, it doesn't lose beat. It'll continue to be recorded, uh, measured, and so on and so forth. So that's what we can do. Yeah, so having all the data isolated onto the, the main battery monitoring system itself, rather than relying on external systems as allows it to really do what it's going to do regardless of any type of attack elsewhere on a, a customer's network. It, it can continue to do and work as needed. Absolutely, yeah. Jumping back a little bit about those parameters and the capabilities of, of a battery monitoring system, I know some concerns uh, that have happened in the industry is powering the battery monitoring system from the battery itself and the ideas of a parasitic effect on it. Could you speak a little bit to how a battery monitoring system should work in that sense? Yeah, yes. Okay, I just touched on um, centralized systems where uh, all the wires are taken back to the, the monitor, which can be a fair distance from the battery. Distributed systems have problems too. They might just be comms problems. The problem with our systems, um, our type of systems, I should say, uh, is that the way that the, the sensors are connected to the battery is uh, either one or more on each cell. People say, well, okay, that's fine because they're powered from the charger. But in actual fact, the current that uh, powers the cells, uh, the float charge for the cells, is more or less fixed throughout the battery. 
by Ohm's law, it has to be the same current that's running through every cell in that battery. If you put sensors across each cell, you may have sensors which are taking more, more current to power themselves or less current to power themselves. And you can find that you've got the voltage uh, of certain cells up and down the battery being lowered or, or raised by the fact that they've got sensors on the cells which have different power supply requirements. It's very important these sensors take identical power. And of course, they don't because there is a, there's probably a 5 or 10% difference between these sensors. If you've got a, a few that are taking more current, then you tend to find that the voltage across the cell becomes depressed. There's another problem as well. Some monitor systems monitor two or, or more cells with one sensor module, and they need two or more cells to power their sensors. So if there's an odd number of cells in the string, uh, when it comes to the end of the string, they have to double up the sensors onto the last one or two or three cells. And in the, the industry, that's called sacrificial cells. You'll find that those cells will go down before the, the rest of the battery. It's not a good situation. That's why we power our sensors via the serial comms link and not from the cells. Yeah, it would seem to me that's almost a necessity. In the other situation, you're, you're talking about a battery monitoring system that may, may be more detrimental than it is beneficial to a client. <laughs> In the case of a few cells, that may well be true, yeah. Thanks again for your time, Nigel. I have a few last questions before we wrap up, if you have a, a minute or so more. Yeah, go on. Sure. Battery monitoring has been, again, around for 40 years, you know, give or take a few there, um, and really been a focused point of the industry. Still in 2021, according to the uptime outage report, power problems are still at minimum 37% of all outages. They do not break out batteries in that report, but historically batteries themselves have been linked to about 50% of UPS outages. With battery monitoring's really where it's gone from there now, why do you see this as still being such a large issue of power failures and has it not been addressed to date? It really comes down to money at the end of the day. The battery is always seen as insurance uh, in case you, your mains fails. It's very difficult to sell insurance, the insurance of a battery monitor on the insurance of a battery. Engineers and plant managers might want the security of uh, a BMS, but decision makers and purchasing managers are always reluctant to spend more than they have to. Actually, the cost of a 240 cell monitoring system is likely to be significantly less than a 240 sensor building management system. That doesn't really impinge on people's consciousness. They, <laughs> they look at it and they say it's more money. The UPS people who are often the ones that actually sell battery monitoring or batteries and battery monitoring, don't want to compete uh, with somebody who's not offering it by saying, well, yes, we need a battery monitoring system. It's a sensible thing to do, but they're loath to do it because it might make them more expensive than their neighbors. They don't actually offer it unless they're asked for it. The key fact is that we know the battery will fail. We just don't know when. And if it does fail unexpectedly, it can cause damage many times the cost of the BMS. But people don't think about that. I think you're 100% dead on with that last line. That's always the starting point with me personally, with the client, is understanding uh, the difference between an expense and an investment. And I, I see battery monitoring as a true investment into the reliability of their system and the downstream protection of expensive equipment, but also all of the clientele that these customers serve. Absolutely. Uh, I totally agree with it. I would put the low take-up of battery monitoring systems on critical batteries down to users who really don't want to spend too much or any more than they have to, coupled with a certain lack of knowledge about the battery system and its potential problems. And there are potential problems. Yeah, that lack of knowledge is definitely something that we've set out to address as well as, as making sure that people within the industry, even when they are not having battery monitoring system, know how to properly maintain and know their level of risk. And what I've come to find is, is battery monitoring really is the one true way to, to really know what's going on with that battery monitoring system because of the data and the trending that you're going to have at your disposal. 
So that kind of leads me to my last question is, and I'm going to leave it pretty open for you is, as the grid and more and more batteries and electricity becomes more prevalent across the world, is, is where do you see this industry going, especially when it comes to a battery monitoring system? Do you see its growth continuing to go upwards or where do you see it going and where do you see the technology and its capabilities going? I've always thought that uh, we don't give the customer the right information. We monitor the right information. We measure the right information or, or a lot of it, not all of it, but then we give it to the customer and just say, here you are. And that doesn't help because we might be spending our lives in battery monitoring systems, but so the customer's got 50 other things to do. Sitting down and looking at a battery and, and remembering what it, what was happening two months ago is, is not necessarily the most productive thing it can do. I believe that we should be moving to automated information systems, to machine learning systems, to artificial intelligence in a, a less than spectacular way, perhaps, to measure and analyze the, the various parameters within the battery and make a prediction based on that so that the customer can say, ah, okay, well, we're okay for the next six months or in three months' time, we're going to have to look at this or look at that. It's far simpler to say the risk of the battery failing to live up to specification in three months' time is quite high, so we should start looking at it now, rather than looking at a voltage on a cell and saying, I wonder what effect that has on the whole battery. Really, into the future, it's going to be shifting from a reactive mindset into that proactive, like you just kind of outlined there, as this system we know from all the data is going to be at risk or is at risk right now. What can we do as an organization to resolve this in a timely fashion? And I think having the data, the smart data, I should say, intelligent data on our, on our behalf is really essential there, not to be overwhelmed with it, but to be given the right data in the right presentation by the right equipment is really what allows our customers to react swiftly across the board. Well, thanks again, Nigel. Uh, appreciate your time on this Friday afternoon. Any last words before you go? Where's the beer? <laughs> it's coming your way. Have a great day and uh, talk to you soon, Nigel. You too, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks once again for tuning in to today's DC Power Hour. We hope you gained a deeper appreciation for battery monitoring systems and the importance of the role that they play today. For more information on battery monitoring or other critical power solutions, visit our website at eepowersolutions.com. So check us out next time when we'll discuss equipment redundancy and how it's frequently overlooked when adequately assessing the needs of a backup power system. Hope you can join us then. In the meantime, if you have questions, you know how to reach us. And please feel free to send questions to George and Alan. Thanks again. Have a great day. Talk to you then. We hope you can join us next time. And in the meantime, if you have any questions for the Battery Blarney Duo or anything else you want us to discuss in next week's episode, please email us at info at eepowersolutions.com. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you then.